Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the math is actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi, everyone. Today, we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 8, Business Trip. In this episode, Michael, Andy, and Oscar go international. Pam is struggling, and one relationship ends while another begins. This episode's cold open acts as an intro to what will be going on in the rest of the episode. We see everybody in the conference room for some reason. This, honestly, is probably the most pointless of all of Michael's conference room meetings. Michael is giving essentially a seminar on international business customs however he i don't know if he looked these up on like wikipedia or something but they're all incorrect or grossly exaggerated or just patently false i i don't know for sure but it feels like he starts off fine and then he just (laughs) yeah just goes down uh after that I don't know if in Morocco it is customary to give a gift, a small gift to someone when you first meet them. It sounds plausible. Sure. But then he immediately follows that up with, in Japan, you have to kill yourself to save embarrassment. Right. Then he says in Italy, you have to wash your hands after going to the bathroom, and that's just considered polite, as if... It's not something that you would have to do or that would necessarily be frowned upon in another country. (laughs) And I will say, not to be braggy here, but I once traveled to Italy. It's actually really, really difficult to find a public bathroom anywhere. That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, and honestly, if you do find a bathroom, it may not contain a sink to which you should wash your hands with after you use the bathroom. That was something, even when we were in Japan, we went to Tokyo for our honeymoon, not a lot of public bathrooms. And honestly, though, if you went to Chicago or New York City, you go to a large city, that's just how it is. You want to go to the bathroom, you need to go to Starbucks and stand in line for 30 minutes to buy a brownie to then be able to get a key to go to the bathroom. Yeah. The reason this is so ridiculous is because... They don't have a big client coming in. They're not going into some, like, international business fair where they have to learn these customs. They're literally doing this because Michael's going to a different country. And that country is Canada. Yes. Diet America, essentially. (laughs) This pretty much only applies to Michael. And he's only using it as a platform to announce his international trip calling it Kanada at first. Dwight is furiously taking notes as if there will be a test on all of this material. And then everyone else is kind of like, all right, this is not applicable to me. It will never be applicable to me, most likely. And as we said, it's mostly wrong. So we learn the reasoning behind Michael going to Canada. He is going to give a sales pitch to a company up there. And they're going to Winnipeg. And as David Wallace puts it in an interstitial, this is kind of a a gift to Michael. Uh, At least that's how he sees it. 
David says that he knows that Michael had been just kind of down in the dumps after Holly got moved to New Hampshire. So this is kind of a way to get him out of the office, reward him for kind of some hard work, and to help get his mind off of Holly. He also mentions that there aren't too many people that are willing to go to Winnipeg in November. This is something that popped into my head as I was watching this episode. Honestly, if you're not a regular business traveler, there's not a ton of people that are really all that jazzed to go on a business trip. Andy and Oscar are going with Michael on this trip, and Oscar sort of conveys the tenor I have for business trips now. Just resign. Just He's just totally resigned to the situation. Apparently... Uh, Michael needs a translator, which... No. Not really, yeah. No. Andy can speak French. <laughs> it's not like they're going to Quebec or something. Yeah, yes. Um, and Oscar is there for to show numbers, I guess, to just be there from the accounting department. But I'm in agreement with Oscar. I think back to some of the business trips I've had to take, and none of them being exotic or anything like that. But it's just more of a pain, and when you don't know your coworkers super well, you're like, oh my god, I have to spend three days with you in the conference and at night and, you know, doing whatever activities we do. Um, it can just be a lot. Like, you don't really get a lot of downtime or alone time to recharge on your own outside of maybe a couple hours in the hotel at the end of the day because there's this sort of I don't know there's this drive that people have of like oh this is different we need to go hang out we need to do drinks and we have to let's do a happy hour and then we'll go to dinner and then we'll do a nightcap and or you're at a conference so you're seeing people that you may not see a lot you're trying to make contacts and it just turns into like quite a bit of like exhaustion you're just constantly on the go and constantly doing things as evidenced by the pointless conference room meeting that he called michael is very excited for this trip because he feels like he is getting kind of the first class treatment here right he feels like a big shot that a shuttle is coming to pick them up from the office to take them to the airport that he is going to sit in business class. And somehow Oscar and Andy get relegated to just coach. I, maybe that was just a perk for the boss or something. Yeah. And that he is going to stay at a hotel with a concierge service. And it is very clear from the moment that David Wallace mentions the fact that there is a concierge at this hotel that Michael isn't quite clear as to what that is yes he at one point says that a concierge is like a geisha that she's trained in sort of the fine art of being fancy and making someone feel good something to that effect but he also seems to think that a concierge may be somewhat akin to a sex worker yeah <laughs> it it's something that is just completely off base and as we'll discuss a little bit later michael is clearly a novice traveler and really all a concierge can do and probably 
their a lot of their job could be obsolete now really is just make suggestions and try to be helpful if you're looking for a certain type of cuisine if you just need help getting around the city where you're staying at you need some suggestions and something to do that seems to be what the concierge can offer also I know one of the hotels we stayed at it was just helpful in getting the shuttle service and making sure that you knew how to get to the airport right and and I think at probably some nicer hotels that is they they do play a larger role in you know doing things like that or making um, restaurant reservations or or things like that and yeah and as you said kind of in the day of google maps and open table and things like that travel blogs is what i was thinking sure uh they their job yeah is is probably largely obsolete but michael and andy make sure to check in with the concierge almost immediately Mm -hmm. upon arriving at the hotel and andy just kind of leads the way in getting things planned out he asks where's a good place to get sushi that has a view and the concierge has an answer for that and andy asks where would somebody like you find yourself in winnipeg tonight and she has a suggestion for that and it turns out that she actually ends up at that place because andy oscar and michael take her advice and they go to this place for drinks later that night Andy fancies himself as the wingman for Oscar and Michael. He really takes this job very, very seriously. Completely self-appointed, but one that he wants to succeed at. And I think a lot of it has to do with his frustrations in his own relationship with Angela. As he tells the camera crew, it doesn't matter what your orientation is, what your relationship status is a man just needs intercourse and that is something he's not getting from Angela so he's sort of trying to live a little bit vicariously through Michael and Oscar he starts out by getting glasses of wine for both Michael and Marie the concierge and Michael starts kind of flirting with her a little bit in the Michael way just saying that she looks ravishing this evening and also talking very very slowly and throwing in the phrase how you say even though she speaks perfect english because it's canada right as most canadians do andy then moves on to try to find someone for oscar and he takes uh, some long island iced teas over to two guys just sitting together marie said that this was a bar in the financial district And the two men are not at all interested in Andy or Oscar or having the Long Island iced teas and basically tell Andy to get lost. That turns into then Andy and Oscar just enjoying the drinks together. Michael's sort of playing this weird game with concierge Marie in a booth set off from the main bar where Andy and Oscar are at. And so Andy's trying to take this opportunity to just get to know Oscar. And it doesn't really seem to take long for Oscar and Andy to get pretty drunk. And Oscar doesn't really beat around the bush once this happens. He 
gets straight to the point and he asks Andy point blank, how do you do it with Angela? Like, how can you stand her? Oscar says that he has sat next to her for years and he just doesn't get it. And Andy says that underneath that hard exterior is just this gooey center. (laughs) But eventually it comes around to the point to where Andy lets those thoughts that he conveyed earlier out to Oscar and says that he just wants to see her naked. He wants to have sex with her. And that has not happened. And Oscar is kind of floored by this, which is surprising and it isn't. I I don't, I mean, it's not surprising because it's Angela. Of course they haven't had sex. But it's surprising and to me, it's Oscar's reaction is surprising because I don't think that's that big of a of a thing like some people do that. Sure. Oscar asks Andy, you know, what are you waiting for? And Andy's like, I have no idea. I don't understand it. This is just something that she wants. So then Oscar convinces Andy to call her up and ask her what's wrong with her. Andy pretty much instantly agrees it doesn't take much to convince him to do this. And it seems like it's pretty late in the middle of the night that potentially Andy's call woke Angela up. And I would say that this doesn't really do Andy any favors. He doesn't really get anywhere with his drunken questioning of, you know, what's wrong with you? Why won't you do me? Oscar really wants to know. Angela's not giving up any information and just says, we'll discuss this later. However, in the background, you can hear Dwight asking, you know, who's that monkey or something to that effect. So Dwight is clearly at Angela's house or Angela is clearly at Dwight's farm. Following this, we see a kind of set of regrets from a couple people here. Michael's flirtation with Marie ends up paying off because they leave the bar together and they go up to his her room I guess I get maybe it's her apartment I don't know it's hard to tell sure it looks like it's the hotel that she works at I can't imagine she lives there right that was my thought and so they clearly have hooked up and Michael is it seems is pretty hastily being shooed out the door yes And we kind of see the usual chain of events that happen with Michael in these situations because he's like, do you want to go get breakfast? Blah, 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 blah. And Maria's like, no, I'm really tired. Like, it's time for you to go. Yes. And like shuts the door on him and he's walking away and we see he doesn't have his shoes. And so the door opens up and Marie just puts his shoes out outside the door and closes it again. So clearly she is not all about Michael in the same way that he is about her. Yes. The next morning, we see Oscar and Andy meeting up in the lobby, getting ready to go to this meeting, and they are just chatting about the previous night. Andy says, had a lot of fun last night. Oscar says, yep, me too. And he says, I can't believe we called her. And Andy kind of laughs and is like, yeah, can't believe that either. 
and then just like wait who did we call and Oscar tells him you called Angela and Andy freaks out yeah. he thought that that was a dream and he knows that he really stepped in it with Angela Andy then tries to call Angela to make amends but she is still very upset about the whole interaction and has decided that they will go back to first base which first base with Angela is apparently forehead kisses. Michael really tried to make the most of the situation saying that he'd rather have fun with Oscar, Andy, and Marie than know there's someone out there in the world that he loves that he can't be with. And we know he's talking about Holly. And really, the pitch meeting that he has with the client that next morning, it probably kind of being shooed away by Marie and really not connecting beyond something physical for one night has Michael really down. He kind of has some introspection on himself while making this sales pitch. The sales manager or buyer whomever is working for this company says to him, you know, we have talked to such and such paper company and your prices just can't compete with theirs. And Michael states that people have come back to Dunder Mifflin over and over again because they feel like they are cared for, they are treated like a real person, they are treated with respect. And you can kind of see the wheels turning in Michael's head while he's saying this. And I think he finally realizes that he's maybe not getting that at Dunder Mifflin. And so as they are getting ready to get on the plane back to Scranton, Michael is having a conversation with David Wallace on the phone, and David Wallace congratulates him on closing the sale, and Michael just kind of lets it all out. And it really starts, it's it's very petty at first, and, right. and just is is Michael's misunderstanding of what, what things are, like an airport shuttle is probably just going to be a van. Yes, unless you are some celebrity or big wig executive it's just a shuttle van it's just a passenger van yeah business class is slightly like you're essentially not sitting as close to somebody else as you would in in coach like it's a little bit more comfy of a seat yeah a hotel with a concierge isn't that big of a deal but he really gets to it when he says that he is very upset that David Wallace had to send Holly to New Hampshire and he doesn't even give David like an opportunity to rebut. He just says, you knew I liked her and you sent her away. That was a really crappy thing of you to do. Michael then hangs up the phone and just gets on the plane. And in a one-on-one, -on -one, Michael says, you know, asks, well, why have I stayed at Dunder Mifflin for so long? It's certainly not because of the salary. And Michael, as something he said before, says, you know, I could be making more money as a professional athlete or a doctor, even though he doesn't have the ability to do any yeah. of those things. But he says, where else could you just let your boss have it and they take it and we and everything moves on? It's sort of an odd thing to say like Michael didn't quite complete the circle of realization that he got 
tipped to go to Winnipeg because no one else wanted to, and David knew that Michael would see that as something exciting. Yeah, but it's also the fact that what Michael did wasn't all that egregious. He didn't, like, just go in on David Wallace and, like, call him an idiot and cuss him out and things like that. He absolutely would have gotten fired for that. Right. But he just says, hey, you sent my girlfriend away to work somebody else to work somewhere else. That really hurt me. That was a sucky thing to do. You're not getting fired for that. Like, that's just like, a, OK, you're like he's just blowing off steam. It's not right. that big of a deal. Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in America, things are getting a little weird in the office for Jim. As we know, he has been kind of counting down the days to when Pam is going to finally come home from New York, finish her class, and come back to work. Apparently, everyone else in the office has also been keeping track of this because everyone is kind of making weird comments to Jim about how Pam is going to be back in a week. Yeah, it's like, okay, first of all, let's just, again, note that As David said, it's mid-November, which we know is way, way past when 12 weeks would have been up. So everyone's still operating under that farce. But two, everyone's acting like Pam was in prison or eons away on another continent. Like Jim has seen her. Yeah, yeah. There is that. There is that in that. No, Jim probably saw her like two weeks ago. Yeah. it's fine but there's like this implied like sexual release yeah finally that they're just gonna bang it out for days or something because she's gonna be there and so yes that is everybody is being very weird with this implied sexual contact thing finally for jim which again they've seen each other and also One thing that they haven't acknowledged, and I don't really understand why, I don't know. We know Pam drove there. We saw her leave in her car. I don't know if she, I don't know, whatever. But we know Pam can come back to Scranton as well. It's just this really weird thing because Jenna Fisher was shooting these movies. We don't know how she did her scenes, the quote-unquote New York scenes, that there's this implied fact that, She's just sort of been locked away at Pratt Institute in New York City. A huge wrench gets thrown in this timeline, though, when Pam calls Jim and lets him know that she apparently is failing her graphic design class or a graphic design class and that she is going to have to retake it and that it would be another 12 weeks before she could come back home. Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. So it's supposedly the quote-unquote 11th week of this course. And Pam has only just found out from her advisor that she's failing. Seems a little far-fetched, but Pam says she doesn't like computers. But we saw in season four that she made that graphic design logo for Michael's commercial. So we know she has some sort of competency to do computer graphics. And she says that maybe the course moved a little too quick. As soon as she was picking up something, they would move on to Quirk or Adobe or something else. And that she could never catch up. However, we also know that she was doing ceramics. Like, it wasn't just 
computer design that she was taking these courses in. So it's a little confusing to what the certification or whatever sort of piece of paper she's getting from Pratt is going to be for. We think it's just graphic design because that's the conversation that was had at the end of season four at that job fair. Yeah. Yeah. But then to have sort of these other sort of extraneous details thrown in, it's unclear if it's like an elective or whatever. So back to the phone conversation with Jim. Jim says, it's not about me. It's not about whether we can do 12 weeks. This is your dream. You need to come back the right way. Pam's pretty upset, so that's the extent of the conversation that happens. But yeah, there's there's definitely disappointment on both sides and a sort of recognition that this is this is going to be difficult. And I honestly don't think there is a, a right answer in this situation. It is kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing for both parties involved. For both of them, if Pam stays, it's another 12 weeks that they are apart from each other. Yeah, and you have to imagine financially, it's you got to pay for that. Right. And if she comes home, then, you know, it is it's her potentially quitting on this dream that she's had. The her her friend Alex yes. in the in the previous episode where he says you don't want to wake up in 50 years and and regret it. That is absolutely a good point and so it is definitely kind of this, well, now what? Because moment. you you have to think that the intention with going to Pratt and getting these courses in graphic design was so that she would not be working at Dunder Mifflin anymore. However, that doesn't also seem to pan out. There's this assumption and stated assertion that, Pam's going to be back as the receptionist. Yeah, good point. Now, it might have been she needs time to find a job and apply and figure out what she can do with graphic design, but there doesn't seem to be the sort of connection. Again, I think it's just a matter of Jenna Fisher signed on to do a couple movies. They needed to figure out what to do with Pam. And I don't think there was ever any intention of moving Pam away from Dunder Mifflin because... How can you have that as the show? Yeah. So Jim is pretty bummed about it. And so are the other people in the office. <laughs> yes. And he questions how would they know. And that's a great question of how they find out. I mean, Jim was on his desk phone. It People could have gleaned from his side of the conversation. Sure. And so he spends the rest of the day just kind of down about it. And he leaves, and he's getting walking out to his car, and there's Pam. Pam has made the decision to quit art school and come back to Dunder Mifflin because she just couldn't do another 12 weeks, and she hates graphic design, and it's just not for her. Yeah, so I guess she gave up on her other – I guess if, yeah, you weren't going to pass at all, you might as well come back. But, yes, Pam is now back. And her and Jim share a moment that gets interrupted by Dwight. And Pam does try to claim that it's not because she missed Jim, but we know that that's a big part of it. And obviously that will factor into that decision making. 
So Pam returning to work means that Brian is now going to need somewhere else to go since he can't be the receptionist anymore. But which, apparently he'll still have a job at Dunder Mifflin. Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No. Because if Ryan is truly working for the temp agency, <laughs> once they don't need him in that position anymore, he goes back to the temp agency. <laughs> right. Like, he doesn't just get another position created for him at Dunder Mifflin. He would have to go through that process again. So it doesn't make much sense. But then again, neither did him ever working for Dunder <laughs> Mifflin again. So Right. We're, we just need to suspend belief here a little bit. Yeah. So his new desk for his new job, whatever that is, will be right next to Kelly in the annex. And Ryan is continuing the process of kind of planting the seeds for the rebirth of he and Kelly's relationship. Says that there's going to be a lot of tension in the office since they're going to be sitting so close. And then he says that here's going to be the area where I do my push-ups every day, I guess. And he starts doing push-ups. And Kelly has some thoughts about all of this. No, not going to happen. He has hurt me too much and too often, and I am in a healthy relationship now. So I'm not going to flaunt it. I'm not going to hurt him. But that door is closed. And her strong will lasts about five minutes, <laughs> because right after this soundbite, we see her and Ryan making out pretty hard on her desk. Yeah, Ryan is one of those men that have Peter Pan syndrome. And because of that, he always wants what he can't have. But then once he's got it, he doesn't want it anymore. He's amazingly attracted to Kelly now because she's unavailable because she's dating Daryl. Later in the episode, they have another one of their makeout sessions in the break room behind one of the vending machines <laughs> and Kelly tries to say that this can't happen anymore last time sort of thing but Ryan says no it has to happen again Daryl can't happen again I've written out a breakup text for you you just need to send it let's do it together sort of thinking I guess that they've been dating a long time Daryl's going to make this difficult, fight for it. There'll be a little bit of drama. Daryl responds nearly instantly saying, it's cool, no big deal. That relationship probably wasn't all that uh, fruitful or deep for Daryl. And so this plan backfires for Ryan because we see immediately that he is regretting this already. And Kelly, of course being Kelly is just like this is a fairy tale we were meant to be together it's destiny and she is all in on this okay side note question do we think BJ Novak is the father of Mindy Kaling's children I don't know enough about the situation to comment at all okay I think it, he definitely is okay <laughs> dang it Curtis what? This needed to be more of a discussion. I would not have known that Mindy Kaling, A, had kids, 
B had kids through a sperm donation. We don't know. We have no idea. Right. I would I would not have known anything about this this situation whatsoever if you had not told me about it before. Okay. Here's the evidence. Mindy and BJ writers in the office right they dated on and off throughout the show and apparently had maybe a relationship that was just a couple notches below kelly and ryan's relationship as far as being on and off kind of weird they remain just like absolute best friends they go to oscar parties together they're very chummy they're very affectionate And neither has ever been publicly dating anybody else. And BJ is always around as far as her social media presence, apparently. I don't have social media. I'm getting all of this through BuzzFeed. (laughs) So trash. (laughs) Sure. Mindy has two children. Uh, She's had them somewhat secretly, just not... She was not a Kim Kardashian about, you know, the pregnancies or the children or anything like that. She does not ever show the children's faces on social media. And people suspect, well, they just don't want speculation on who the father could be. And that's fair. And there's a lot of celebrities that don't show their children's faces. But yeah, I feel like in, I don't know, 18 years or something that there's just going to be recognition that BJ Novak is the father of these kids. But it could be that, yes, Mindy's Kayleen did do like a sperm donation and did undergo IVF and she's doing this all on her own. I don't know. Curtis could could really care less about this line of uh, inquiry. So So let's go to the annex (laughs) with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So one thing I realized when we were watching this episode that there has never been a replacement for Ryan. So Ryan lost his job as the manager for overseeing all of the other branches at the corporate office. And that was such a big deal to end off season three, this search for replacing Jan. So seemingly it has not been filled or it's been absorbed into something else and there's just not going to be that replacement. The writers chose Winnipeg as the location for this international business trip because it struck the right mix of exotic and obscure, which I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And they did not actually film on location in Winnipeg. It was just filmed in LA. So the Winnipeg Tourism Bureau, they sent luggage tags from their airport to try to make it more authentic and they sent items from local businesses such as the bay old dutch chips and fort gary brewing which i don't i noticed the chips i'm not sure if i noticed anything else yeah i I don't think i noticed any of those things one thing i do want to say about this episode is that for some i i really enjoy this episode for some reason it just seems a lot cleaner and a lot tighter while still not really accomplishing anything, it, yeah. it, if you kind of compare it to employee transfer where you have one big storyline, two minor storylines, and it just doesn't really work in that episode, in this episode, for some reason, it just works out a lot better. Agree. Agree. 
Curtis, who gets fired this episode? I think we lose both Kelly and Ryan for just making out hardcore everywhere in the office, apparently. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so this is Kelly's second firing of this season. It's her fourth overall. And it's Ryan's first firing of this season. It's his third overall. Antoinette, what is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee Award is he's a little wet around the ears, and that goes to Michael. As we alluded to, he is definitely a novice traveler, but he is overexcited in ways that forces him to not even really pack the right things. So, for instance, he's bringing three suitcases for seemingly a two or maybe three days at the most trip, because two are for souvenirs, which is a lot of souvenirs, and that's a lot of extra money when you're flying. He also brought a personal DVD player and 20 movies for a seemingly about a three-hour flight. They say it's less than two hours, but it's actually a little over three hours direct from Scranton to Winnipeg. And as we said, he really doesn't understand, for instance, like what a per diem is, what the concierge is there to do, anything about business class. But however, everyone has to start somewhere. So maybe this will spark a traveling bug for Michael. What is your Dundee Award? The good drink choice goes to Andy for getting the two guys that he is trying to set Oscar up with Long Island iced teas. I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> he calls the Long Island iced tea bad decisions in a glass. That's not that far from an accurate description. Curtis can greatly attest. Yes. Uh, in college, there was a bar that every Friday night they had $10 bottomless cups. So you paid $10 at the door, you get a cup that was probably like 16 ounces, oh, and <laughs> you can get whatever you wanted in that cup for the night. Beer, hard alcohol, whatever. Very often, my drink of choice was to get the best bang for your buck, Long Island iced teas. <laughs> and I developed a system to where I could get the most inebriated for the least money, least amount of money possible. Right, you're just describing college. Sure. Sure. You, I would make sure I got the same bartender for like my first three or four drinks and give him a dollar each time <laughs> as a tip. And then you just keep going to that bartender and then like, oh, yeah, you've already given me some money. I'm going to get to you quickly. I'm going to give you a good drink. And so for $14, I was doing okay for the night. You know what happens sometimes in bars is that in order for them to save money, they will not put alcohol in the drink, but they'll put like a shot of alcohol down the straw. So it makes you think that you're getting a very, very strong drink because you're immediately taking in that alcohol like down in the straw. But actually the bar saved a lot of money then. I've never seen that happen. I haven't seen it happen. I just have read about it. To me that I would I would see that immediately and be like, you gave me like nothing. <laughs> like I can see you making this drink. Right. That only works if it's like a really busy place and you're yeah. and they go off elsewhere, you know, turn around or whatever to mix the drinks. Another fun thing that happened at this bar is that I would go with 
you know, just a group of friends. And I had a friend that anytime I was done with my drink, I'd be like, hey, I'm heading to the bar. You want to want me to take your drink or you want me want to go up with me? And every time he would be like, yep, let's go. Didn't matter where he was at in his drink. <laughs> and so he would end up just slamming a half full, three quarters full, full oh Long Island iced tea. And so like I would catch on and be like, okay, this is just fun for me. And so I would get him just blackout drunk by just being like, hey, I'm going to the bar. Yeah, do you need a drink? And he's like, yeah, let's go. Curtis, that's so dangerous. I mean, it was responsible still. Okay. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Michael uh, because he made another sale, you know, showing his salesman prowess a little bit. And he just sort of had this realization about his feelings for Holly. I think he always knew that. But he's realizing that, unfortunately, he can't really fill that with something else. Marie didn't really do the job there. And he was able to just, just sort of give David an earful and, like Curtis said, probably just blew off some steam for that decision. What about you? I chose Andy because he actually is kind of tolerable in this episode. He is yeah. his usual self, but it is a little more endearing in this situation. He is genuinely trying to make sure other people have a good time. He swoops in with two glasses of wine for Michael and Marie when they are just kind of having their conversation. So he does a very good job at being a wingman. Yeah. But he also, like, gets to know Oscar. And he and Oscar have what seemingly is a legitimately enjoyable time together at the bar. And then they kind of talk about it later the next morning and at the airport of just how, you know, hey, that was a lot of fun. And on top of that, he got some things off of his chest right. to Angela about their physical relationship. He also somewhat pulls off a somewhat bizarre outfit. He's wearing, so his pants are, I would say, 70s inspired. Like it's sort of like a brown plaid mm -hmm. pattern than a salmon a pretty bright salmon shirt a tannish suit jacket mm -hmm. and a tie that is in the brown family i guess mm -hmm. he somewhat pulls it off yeah so that does it for this week's episode please be sure to follow us on twitter at downsizing pod to get all the latest updates and be sure to listen on google podcast apple podcast Spotify, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.